I am about to be married, so I heard. Dracula killed Rothman for Saxon religion, second daughter of the King of Scandinavia. You may know the strict principles of her family. She is herself the very soul of delicacy. A shadow of a doubt as to my conduct would bring the matter to an end. And I will not love. Thirteen to send them the photograph, and she will do it. I know that she will do it. You do not know her. But she has a soul of steel. She has the face of the most beautiful of women, and the mind of the most resolute of men. Rather than I should marry another woman, there are no lengths to which she would not go. None. You are sure that she has not sent it yet? I am sure. And why? Because she has said that she would send it on the day when the betrothal was publicly proclaimed. That would be next Monday. Oh, then we have three days yet, said Holmes with a yawn. That is very fortunate, as I have one or two matters of importance to look into just as present. His Majesty will, of course, stay in London for the present. Certainly, you will find me at the London under the name of the Count Van Crum. Then I shall drop you a line to let you know how we progress. Pray do so, I shall be all in anxiety. Then as to money. You have cut branch. Absolutely. I tell you that I would give one of the provinces of my kingdom to have that photograph. And for present expenses, the king took a heavy canvas rather back under his cloak and laid it on the table. There are three hundred pounds in gold and seven hundred in note, he said. Holmes scribbled a receipt upon a sheet of his notebook and handed it to him. And Mademoiselle's dress he just it's Brownie Lodge, Serpentine Avenue, St. John's Wood. Holmes took a note of it. One other question, said he. Was a photograph a cabinet? It was. Then good night, Your Majesty, and I trust I wish you soon have some good news for you. And good night, Watson, he added, as the wheels of the Royal Baron roared down the street. If you will be good enough to call tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock, I should like to chat this little matter over with you. At three o'clock precisely outside Baker Street, but Holmes had not yet returned. The landlady informed me that he had left the house shortly after eight o'clock in the morning. I sat down beside the fire, however, with the intention of waiting him, however long he might be. I was already deeply interested in this inquiry, for, though he was surrounded by none of the grim and strange features which were associated with the two crimes which I have already recorded, still, the nature of the case and the exalted station of his client give it a character of its own. Indeed, apart from the nature of the investigation which my friend had on hand, there was something in the magistrate's grasp of the situation and his keen, incisive reasoning which made it a pleasure to me to study his system of work and to follow the quick, subtle methods by which he disentangled the most inscrutable mysteries. So accustomed was I to his invariable success, that the very possibility of his failing had ceased to enter into my head. It was close upon four before the door opened and drunken looked through, ill-kempt and side-whiskered with an inflamed face and disreputable cloth walked into the room. Accustomed as I was to my friend's amazing powers in the use of disguises, I had to look three times, but while certain 
that it was indeed he. With a nod, he vanished into the bedroom, whence he emerged in five minutes to it suited and respectable as of old. Put his hands into his pockets, he stretched out his legs in front of the fire and laughed heartily for some minutes. Where really, he cried, and then he choked and laughed again, and then he was obliged to lie back, limp and helpless in the chair. What is it? It's quite too funny. I'm sure you could never guess how I employed my morning, or what I ended by doing. I can't imagine. I suppose that you have been watching the habits, and perhaps the house, of Miss Irene Quite so. The sequel was rather unusual. I'll tell you, however. I left the house a little after eight o'clock this morning, in the character of a grim out of work. There is a wonderful sympathy and remissery among healthy men. Be one of them, and you will know all that is to know. I soon found Barony Lodge. It is a beachy villa, with a garden at the back, but built out in front, right up to the road, two stories. Chop locked to the door. Lies sitting room on the right side, well furnished long windows almost to the floor, and those preposterous English window fasteners, which a child could upon. Behind, there was nothing remarkable, save that passage window could be reached from the top of the couches. I walked round it and examined it closely from every point of view, but without noting anything else of interest. I then ran down the street and found, as I expected, that there was a muse in the lane which runs down by one wall of the garden, and then the ostlers, having grown the closes, and received in exchange twopence, a glass of half and half, the fields of shag tobacco, and as much information as I could desire about Miss Adler, to say nothing of half a dozen other people in the neighborhood, in whom I was not in the least interested, but whose biographies I was compelled to listen to. And what of Eileen Ultra? I asked. 